Holy Spirit, we ask that you would empower this word now to speak to our hearts. That even beyond the the words that I have chosen to say, oh God, that you would, that we would hear your voice. Come with your healing, come with your exhortation, come with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Joel Gray and Liza Minnelli sang in the 1972 production of Cabaret. Money makes the world go round, the world go round, the world go round. Money makes the world go round, it makes the world go round. A mark, a yen, a buck, or a pound, a buck or a pound, a buck or a pound, in all that makes the world go round, that clinking, clanking sound can make the world go round. Money makes the world go round, the world go round, the world go round. Money makes the world go round, it makes the world go round. I think Jesus would agree with the catchy cabaret's tune assumptions of how we, how we think the world of money works. That is why scripture says so much about money. Knowing its power, the, the total biblical witness does not shy away from talking about money as we might. According to the writer Howard Dayton, 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the gospel, an amazing one out of 10 verses, one out of 10, 288 verses in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Wow, we have a little disproportionate preaching themes going on here. But anyway, it's about time. The preacher, the preacher here in the book of Ecclesiastes, sums up his teaching on money, quickly cutting to the chase with one word. I bet you can guess what the word is. Meaningless. <laughs> Meaningless. No surprise there. I don't think I would have believed his words when I was a teenager, though. Beautiful designer clothes, delicious home furnishings, and a hot little Mercedes convertible. <laughs> all beckoned me to think about getting that plum job that helped me strive for good grades and the end goal of a college degree. Growing up in a home with, without a lot of niceties of life, I had empty places in my soul. I had empty places, and I thought money could fill them up. 
I really did. I thought money could fill them up. During the summer of my freshman year, I had a wake-up call that began a reorientation of how I thought about money in my life. I was working in a bookstore in Maryland under the watchful care of my Aunt Phyllis. The store was going through an interior, interior transformation that summer, so we were busy sorting and piling and moving books from one end of the store to the other. As old fix, fixtures were removed and new fixtures came in. That fact is not very meaningful in and of itself, other than there was a very nicely dressed interior designer that frequented the store to check on the progress of the work. I mean, she was nicely dressed, have to say. She was very nicely dressed. I think I only talked to her once that summer, just once. But I did notice her confident presence each time she came into the store. You have to know, I had just completed a year of study at St. Ben's in interior design. (laughs) So I had already decided I wanted to be just like her when I grew up. Midway through the summer, though, tragedy struck. She died in a car crash on the New Jersey Turnpike. How could this be? She was probably about 35 years old at best. She wasn't sick. She had a good job. She seemed to be succeeding in life. From my perspective, she had everything that money could buy. And then unexpectedly, her life was cut short. You know, I was 18, 19. I was rocked. I was rocked to my core. Like, what is this now? Even when you are making good money and everything else is going well, suffering and loss can still come. I think I believed, I think I did believe, that somehow money could pad the pain from entering in. I somehow believed I had a lot of pain in my life. I think if I put on the cloak of money, whatever, you know, as a 19-year-old that is, if I could somehow wear that, strive for that, it'll protect all the other bad stuff from happening. Meaningless. (laughs) Meaningless, I say. The pursuit of money has the power to shape lives. With it as a chief aim of life, we can lose our perspective of what matters. We can lose it. Working long hours or even transgressing moral and ethical boundaries in homage to the almighty dollar. We can lose sight of life's other gifts, trading it for what we think will buy us self-esteem, power, Safety, adventure, love. Even the lack of money can open us up to vulnerabilities that stem from living with scarcity. 
So you have money that can kind of shape and form you in this way. You're kind of losing sight of all of other parts of life. But also poverty can do that, lack of money. Poverty can lead us to choose to cross our own boundaries, justifying actions that in better times we wouldn't choose. We can cling. We can cling to the little we have and hoard it out of fear that there's not enough. We can even get so focused on what we don't have that we can't see what's been given to us, robbing us of the preciousness of this very moment. Now, in some family systems, how money is used or not used can be tied to feelings of love or belonging. That was, that's part of my story. That's part of my story. These knots of confusion can take a long time. They can take a long time to untangle in our hearts and our souls. For some of us, this goes so deep inside of us, so deep inside of us that we need the help of others to discern what is true and what's not true. All that is to say that meaninglessness comes in many forms, whether we have much or we have little, or we think we have much, or we think we have little. The Apostle Paul states in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, his experience. For I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do this all through him who gives me strength. I used to think, and some days I still do, that having money is really better than not having money. But the Apostle Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. Being rich or poor, having much or little, does not guarantee a right relationship with money. It doesn't guarantee it. doesn't guarantee it. In the article, Moving from Scarcity to Abundance in a Biblical Manner, how's that for a title? Giselle Sorley writes about his experience. Most of the time I operate through the lens of scarcity. I'm afraid of not having enough time or resources. Will I have enough time to do what I desire? Will I have enough money to provide for my family? He goes on. Walking alongside families managing their wealth, I frequently see this scarcity mentality. I was sitting recently in the kitchen of a couple in their 80s. They have a net worth of over $20 million. 
We had spent hours together getting clarity on many questions. How much was enough for them? How much is enough for their heirs? What should they do for others? I felt satisfied with helping them and their family answer these questions. We'd eliminated their estate and capital gains taxes. <clears throat> Rolling of the eyes. Now they, were in a, now they were in a position to give away more money to charitable causes than they ever dreamed of. It was just a matter of implementing the plan. Suddenly, the wife blurted out, what if I get a chronic illness? Hours after being confident in having enough money for the rest of her life, fear took over. She was worried about running out of money. Paradoxically, Sorley adds, this scarcity mindset often increases as wealth increases. It actually increases. That's a whole thing unto itself. But it increases as wealth increases. Yet this is not how we are taught the kingdom works. This is not how the kingdom works. In the familiar gospel story, Jesus takes a meager portion of bread and an equally scarce number of fish and feeds thousands in the parable of the ten talents, the man who buried his gift, his one gift, his one gift, he hoarded it, he did not invest it, was chastised, cast out by his boss. The other two men who were given more talents, more gifts to manage, gave them away. And they were multiplied five and ten times, receiving high praise for their good stewardship. Even though these gospel stories hold great significance for those who follow Jesus, like us, for those who desire to be faithful with all our resources of life, whether abundant or scarce, I think we would all nod our heads. At least, you know, there's, a, there's some desire inside to learn how to do this well. I think it takes time to learn how to open our hands, both to give but also to receive. It's, it's both. It's both. Open our hands to, to give and to receive. Then you add kind of life cycle stuff on top of it. And, you know, looking towards retirement, there's a whole different set of issues that come up in conversation that didn't happen when we were 20 and kind of macaroni cheese in the cupboard. Okay, we'll have that again. It takes a long time. It takes a long time. We, I think we are lifelong learners in learning how to steward our resources. I think we're lifelong. I think this is because we, we want intrinsically to have the power to control our resources. We want to be able to choose. We're American. God darn it. 
We want to choose what we put in that rainy day box over there for that future maybe event. We want to be able to spend our money on whatever catches our fancy today. Click away on Amazon. Click, 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 click. It's my money. It's my money. These are my things. I get to decide. I get to decide. Now, these assertions can as easily happen in broke, gilded rooms of royalty as in the impoverished squalor of shantytowns. We can have the same issues no matter what, wherever we are, and everything in between. They can happen in a corporate boardroom. They can happen at a leadership team meeting. They can happen at a staff meeting. They can happen in organizations. And they can happen at our own dining room table. In every season of life, we can fall into the trap that we are entitled. We are entitled to this money, or we deserve that thing. I earned it. I earned it. I can have it. I'm not saying that we can't have things. Don't hear me say that. It's the attitude. It's this grasping. It's this holding. It's this unwilling to let go, to open our hands. Crazily, it may seem we can even tie our gifting of money to make ourselves look good or influence an organization or a friend or a family member in one direction or another. I mean, how many of us have given a gift that has strings? Sometimes this occurs openly and we know what we're doing. Or other times secretly, even to our own hearts. We can give a gift to stroke our own egos and inflate our sense of self-worth, not even thinking that maybe that gift may, in that certain circumstance, do more harm to the giver or even ourselves or our relationship or others that we love. There's so much more to say about this. There really is. We have, we have, we have, as Jamie said last week during the offering prayer, complicated relationships with money. We have complicated relationships with money. We do. We do. But even, but even our relationship with money can be made holy. It can be made holy and become a part of our life in God. Not over here, some secular thing, you know. We can bring it this way and offer it this way. And stay learners. And stay learners. Why why am I feeling this way about this part of that? You know, what what is that about for me? (coughs) Oh, I know what that's about. I don't know what that's about. What is that about? I'm feeling threatened. I'm feeling 
you know, alone. I'm feeling like not valued. I'm feeling like I want to do something, but I can't, and I don't have any money to do anything about it. <laughs> Whatever it is. We have complicated, complicated relationship with money. So I want to challenge us this morning to put our thinking about money, our understanding of money, our hurt, our hurt about money, our lack of money, our abundance of money, our disorder with money in Jesus' hands. And see what Jesus can help us do with it. We touch money all the time, all the time. can become a prayer prompt. A prayer prompt. Just a little, here, what about this? What is this? Jesus, may our relationship with money, may our relationship with money honor you.